Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. I want to share with you a message. We're going to begin today with a story in the Old Testament, one of my favorite Bible characters. Uh, we're going to use a story uh, of an as an illustration of some concepts that we're going to kind of flesh out from the New Testament, uh, from the words of the Apostle Paul. But let's begin by turning to Genesis chapter 37 today. Genesis chapter 37. Uh, this is the beginning portions of the story of the life of Joseph. Many of you have heard of him. Uh, you may have watched his story in an animated movie, or you may have seen the Broadway stylized version of his life. Uh, in Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Um, but Joseph is uh, the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. And for all intents and purposes, he was his favorite. He was Jacob's favorite son. He was a bit of a rat. Whenever his brothers would do wrong, he would report to dad of their malfeasance. And uh, as the favorite, Jacob made for him an amazing coat. Apparently, it was a coat of many colors. And at the age of 17, it was so apparent that he was the favorite son that his brothers hated him for it. Now, we're going to pick up the story in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 37. And you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. It says, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. And suddenly my bundle stood up. And your bundles all gathered round and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king? Do you? Do you actually think you're going to reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, and his, bro and his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. So Joseph has these amazing dreams. And truthfully, if he's like any of us, he had played out in his mind exactly how he thought those dreams were going to come to pass. His 17-year-old brain thought he knew exactly what would, what would happen. In his mind, he probably thought, I'll tell my brothers, I'll tell mom and dad, and they'll all realize that God's will for me is to rise up and lead them, and they will bow down in obedience to me and to God. And so with that thought in mind, the title of my message today is When the Show Doesn't Match the script. When the show doesn't match the script. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence today. And I thank you, Lord, for all our friends that have come out today to worship you and to celebrate you as well. Lord, I ask you today to help our hearts to embrace the word of God, to challenge us, to leave here different than when we've come, God, to be challenged by your word and changed by your spirit, that people, when they notice us, God, they would notice that we'd been in your presence. Uh, because in your presence, Lord, is truly fullness of joy, and there's such amazing opportunities for growth when we're in your presence. And I thank you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 
So many of you know I love to read. Uh, I read all kinds of material, but I do enjoy certain types of fiction. I enjoy comic books. I enjoy spy novels. I enjoy legal fiction. I even have some, uh, enjoy some allegorical fantasy from time to time. If you're a reader of anything that is popular in culture, you've experienced what it feels like when they take a book that you have really enjoyed and they make it into a movie. For most readers, as you read particularly a fictional book, you create characters in your mind, right? You imagine what that person might look like or what the town might look like, what the person's clothes might be like. A, a good reader will give you, a good writer will give you lots of context clues as to the setting, as to the character, how they look, how they dress. And from those clues, we draw conclusions as to in our mind how things are supposed to go in the story. And so then we go and see the movie or we wait until it comes out on our favorite streaming service and we see the movie that's been made of our favorite book and rarely do they get it right. I mean, the characters that they cast are not who you imagined. The town just doesn't look the same. Come to think of it, the story's even different. That main guy that you really liked in the story, he didn't even show up in the movie. They didn't even cast him at all. And then you finish watching and you're frustrated. Why? Because the show doesn't match the script. We had a script. It was a good script. But what they made was apparently someone else's interpretation of the script, and it just doesn't match. And you know, sometimes our walk with God can be the same way. God gives us a dream, or he places in our minds a calling or his will for our life. And how many of you have ever struggled with the will of God? Okay, and all the rest of you, go ahead and raise your hand too, because if you haven't, you're telling, not telling me the truth today. We've all kind of struggled from time to time, like, God, what do you really want out of my life, right? What is it that you want from me? We have in our minds how it's all going to play out. We may even give God some nudges, help him along the way. Hey, God, I think this is the way we ought to go. We think this is God's will for me, and he gave me this dream, and I've seen in my mind how it's going to happen. So we begin to play out the scenarios, and we write the script for our life. We plan it out. We know how it's going to come to pass. So we have the path to get there, and we chart our course. I'm going to go to school for this, and I'm going to marry this person, and we're going to have many children, and we're going to buy this house by the time we are this age, and we're going to serve in the kingdom of God in this capacity, and we're going to accomplish these things, and people are going to notice us, and they're going to recognize us as being great, and we, 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 we have our script. But then we see the show. We actually start to live the life. And it's not matching our script. It's not the shiny dream that we saw. The show doesn't match the script. What we're really saying is it doesn't match my version of the script. It doesn't match my perspective, how I saw this playing out, how I thought this would come to pass. God, I must be a disappointment because things aren't happening the way you showed them to me. And I must be doing something wrong because I'm obviously not fulfilling your will for my life because it doesn't look like the script that I wrote. And I'm not living up to my calling because my reality is not what I envisioned it to be. I imagine Joseph felt that way. I read to you his dreams. I would imagine that his interpretation was extremely elaborate, right? I mean, it had to have looked in his mind, the mind of a 17-year-old boy, had to be looking like he would be king of the world. A short time later, he comes back to check on his brothers, and 
They are fed up with his dreaming and his scheming, and they steal his coat, and they're going to kill him. And one brother, Reuben, has compassion, and he convinces the brothers instead to toss him in a pit and leave him to die, intending to come back later, perhaps, and free him from the pit after the brothers leave. And then Judah, his other brother, gets a bit greedy, and he says, hey, why, not, why kill him? Let's make some money off of him. And they sell him to some slave traders who are on their way to Egypt. And in Egypt, he works for a high-ranking official named Potiphar until Mrs. Potiphar makes a move on him. And rather than reciprocate, Joseph ran away. And so rejected, she accuses Joseph of actually making the move on her. And he gets sent to jail, and they're in prison. He sits, and he's forgotten about It's a far cry from the script that Joseph had written based on the dreams he'd been given. And this morning, I would venture to guess that some of you are sitting here and you are frustrated and you're irritated, maybe even a little disappointed in yourself, maybe even disappointed in God. And perhaps you're feeling like, you know what? The script that was written for my life, the dreams that God gave me, this art that is not coming to pass. It's not happening. It's maybe I missed it. Maybe I got faulty information. Maybe I ate pizza and God talked to me through the pizza. I don't know, but it's not coming to pass the way I dreamed it would. You came up with a plan. You decided that if you could have this job or perform this ministry or marry this guy or marry this girl or arrive at this destination, then you'd be fulfilling the will of God. And part of our problem really is our understanding of God's calling or God's will for our lives. We live in a society that is motivated by achievement. We are constantly being taught to strive for a destination. When you arrive at this point in life, then you'll be considered successful. When you accomplish this task, then you're going to feel good about yourself. If you wanna be involved in ministry, you have to aspire to reach this level, and until you do, you haven't fulfilled the will of God. And so if we truly wanna please God, we many times operate with a faulty mental construct that says there's only one person that I can marry, there's only one ministry that I can have, there's only one path I can travel, there's only one career for me, because God's will says this is the script I'm supposed to live out for my life. So just curious, how many of you have lived parts of your Christian life trying to figure out what's the will of God for me? Get this one up too. I don't want to move outside the will of God. If I could just know God's will for me. Some people take it so far where they become paralyzed by fear or somehow disappointing God by doing something outside of his will that they're like, is it his will that I have pasta for lunch? Or maybe he'd be okay if I had a steak. I don't know. If that's you, I'm not making fun today. Please don't think that because I've lived a large portion of my adult life struggling with the exact same thing. God, you called me to this and I don't see a path to get there. How can I fulfill your will if I'm stuck in a pit and I'm falsely accused and I'm in prison and none of the lines up with the script you gave me when I saw the dream? You called me to this ministry or this plan or this job, and I'm not there, so I must be doing something wrong, God. I must be displeasing you somehow. So what happens when the guy you thought was God's will turns out to be a jerk? What happens when the job you thought was God's plan 
turns out to be a dead end? What happens when the spouse you thought was the only one possible for you walks out and leaves you all alone? What happens when the ministry that you thought you'd have, the one you believe God called you to, blows up in your face and you see no path forward? Did you fail? Did you mess up somehow? Are you being punished because you fell short somewhere along the way? How foolish must we be sometimes to think that God would put the weight of his will onto the lives of individuals who he has already declared will fall short of the glory of God? If we believe that God's will can only be accomplished if we follow a script to the letter and everything comes to pass based on our interpretation of a dream that he placed in our heart, what hope does the world really have? Because if the fulfillment of God's plan is dependent upon me and my ability to perfectly interpret his will and live up to it, then the world is hopeless because my show never matches the script. Understand with me for a moment. I'm not suggesting that God doesn't give you dreams. I'm not suggesting that God's call is not on your life. I'm not suggesting that we should not endeavor to fulfill God's will. But I am suggesting that perhaps we have made it way more complicated than it was ever meant to be. We are carrying around a ton of pressure trying to fulfill this exact will of God. And I think many times it's because we have a faulty understanding of what it means to fulfill the will of God. We have this idea that being called of God is a lot like the NFL draft. Any of you have watched any of the NFL draft? Most of our men, a few of our women might have got drug in, kicking and screaming. Uh, my wife watched a little bit with me this past year because uh, our alma mater, uh, Liberty University, for the first time had a quarterback named Malik Willis who uh, was considered to be a very high draft pick. And uh, he was drafted by the Tennessee Titans at pick number 86 in the third round of the 2022 NFL draft. But he'd been projected to be a higher pick, a much earlier pick, by some to be possibly the first quarterback taken in the draft, expected to be somewhere in the early first round. But for some reason, his stock began to slide. And they had his whole family sitting in this booth off the stage area at the draft. And every time they'd make a call to some other player, they'd show Malik and his family sitting there, dejected. And his family wondering why it wasn't happening for our son. Why didn't they call us? And he sat and he sat and he sat for 85 picks and the call never came. Then finally, late on the second day at pick number 86, his phone does ring and he gets a call. We've selected you to be the quarterback of our team. We've called you. Of all the calls we could have made, we called you. And that's how we many times see God's calling, don't we? Like we're being called to a position to serve on a team, to fulfill a destiny, to accomplish a task. I got the call. I answered the phone. Put me in, coach. Maybe you were called to a position. I'm not belittling that if that's how you feel, but more likely the position is not your calling. It's probably a gifting that you have and that you're walking in. More likely God's call on your life is that you were called to him. You were called to bring glory to his name. 
You were called to put faith and trust into Jesus Christ. When Jesus walked the earth and he called 12 disciples, he did not walk around and say, hey, buddy, I want you to be my Pentecostal day preacher. And you, I want you to be a missionary that's going to take the gospel around the world. And you, I want you to go, now this is going to be bad for you. You're going to be the first martyr. They're going to flay you with a sword. He didn't do that. What he did is he walked up to men and women and he said, follow me. That's all he said. Follow me. He called them to himself, and they began to walk on a journey together, growing and learning and knowing more about him on the journey that they were on. God's call is for us to serve him. There may be a myriad of ways that you can bring glory to his name using the gifts and talents that you have, but many times we miss out on all the ways that God could possibly use us because we're fighting to arrive at the quarterback's position that we were called to. Many of us are imprisoned to a calling. We think that if we don't do this, whatever this is, if we don't get to do that, then somehow we're disappointing God and we're frustrating ourselves. I want to free you today from that. Because the show that God has planned for your life may be much different than the script that you've been reading from trying to make it happen the exact way you perceive that it would. Most of us want God to give us this step-by-step plan to arrive at a specific destination, but when we don't get there in the manner that we perceived in the script, we feel like a failure and somehow we think we've let God down. And here's why. I believe we've been convinced that somehow we are responsible to fulfill the will of God for our lives, but we've never truly understand what God's will is for our lives. People run from preacher to preacher, church to church, city to city, asking the same question, how can I fulfill the will of God for my life? I think growing up, every youth conference I went to, there was some guy that got up and preached about fulfilling the will of God. How can I know the will of God? A quick Google search on Wednesday of this week told me that there are over 4,450,000,000 possible results on the internet dealing with the answer of God's will. There are over 628 million videos on the internet, primarily on YouTube, dealing with finding the will of God for your life. Is it possible that there's a lot of people searching for God's will? I think so. Is it possible that perhaps we've made finding God's will so complicated that we are left to search for it rather than walk in it? So in the time I have left today, I want to share with you from the words of the Apostle Paul in regards to the will of God for your life. We all, I believe, want to fulfill God's will. But I want to free you today from the search for a destination that will fulfill God's will and instead share with you that fulfilling God's will is more about the journey that you're on. It's more about the life that you live. It's more about the mindset in which you think and it's more about the way you share his love than it is about a position that you hold or a destination that you arrive at. Romans chapter 12 beginning at verse 1. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. 
Verse two, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So all my life, whenever I would hear someone discuss the will of God, Romans chapter 12, verse one and two would come up as a, as a text. And so many times I would leave confused because they focused on the fact that we could know God's will, the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God. And so I was left with this concept in my mind that somehow there were three options. Like we were on a game show and Monty Hall was on stage and he was like, in door number one, the good will of God. Door number two, the pleasing will of God. And door number three, the perfect will of God. Which will you choose? That's kind of how I envisioned the will of God, right? This one over here would be good. This one, you know, it's permissive, it's pleasing, it's okay. But this one, the car behind door number three, <laughs> is the perfect will of God. Right? I mean, that's how I pictured it. I don't know if I'm the only one. Maybe I am the only one. I'm a little bit nuts, but maybe. But that's how I was preached. That's how I received what I was being taught. And so you're left to pursue this will of God from the perspective of that there must be a script that fits the life God wants me to lead. Which behind, which door am I going to get it? And unless I'm the leading character in the script and I'm performing in the role of my life, then I haven't fulfilled the will of God. But that's not what the scripture says at all. The object or the point of this verse is to know the will of God. It says, in essence, if you do these things, then you will learn to know God's will. So how do we learn to know it? First, we give our bodies to God as living and holy sacrifices to him. In light of him dying for us, it's only reasonable we give ourselves in relationship to him. We give our bodies, putting our flesh under subjection, we submit ourselves completely and wholly to God. But how do we do that? Well, we do it by not copying the behaviors and customs of this world. What are the behaviors and customs of the world? Well, it's certainly not to submit myself to one another, right? Uh, that's not how the world operates. The world teaches us to be selfish, to protect our sense of autonomy. You don't belong to anyone except yourself. So don't copy those selfish and humanistic behaviors and attitudes and mindsets. Instead, let God transform you. Let God make you fresh and new by changing your outward appearance, your job, your station in life, your position at the church, your title on the job, your ministry focus, your spouse, your family, your home. No. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, God transforms my thinking, and now I'm willing to offer myself to God for God to be my source, for God to be my direction, for God to have his way, for God to dictate the script and allow it to be performed in the fashion that he desires, even if it's different than the way I perceived it would be. And if you live a surrendered life to God, if you allow God to transform your mind, then you will know God's will for you. And this is important because it's not three doors to choose from, good, pleasing, and perfect. It's not three different progressions of God's will. If you do this, you'll be good, but the longer you do it, maybe you'll become pleasing, and then if you really do it for a long time, you can get perfect at it. That's not how it is either. God's will for you, being submitted to him and beginning 
not to think like the world, but with a transformed mind, the way he thinks, then you will know God's will for you, which is good. Why is God's will for me good? Because God is good. And God would never want you to be involved in something that's not good. God would never ask you to do something that's not good. God would never ask you to go somewhere that's not good. God's will for you is good. Bible says there's none good but God. And so if God asks me to do something, guess what? It's going to be good. So God's will for me is good. God's will for me is also pleasing. To whom? To God, certainly. But you know who else it's pleasing to? It's pleasing to you. Because God's will was never meant to be drudgery or something that you dreaded but you had to do because God's will after all. No, God wants you to be pleased with the direction of your life. He wants you to serve with joy. He wants you to serve with a sense of, uh, of love, not out of duty, but out of opportunity to please him. And God's will for your life is perfect. Now, when we see the word perfect in scripture, many times we think of God's perfection, right? A sense of complete and utter holiness and sinlessness. But actually many times the word perfect is referring to completion or maturity, so what Paul's actually saying is that when I fulfill the will of God, it's going to be good for me. It's going to be pleasing, but it's also going to come in time. It's going to be perfected or matured in my life as I grow and journey with Christ. Listen to it, how it's read in the message from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Amen. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, developed, well-formed maturity in you. That's the will of God. God's will for you is to live for him, to go on a journey with him, to allow him to transform your thinking so that he can reveal his goodness in your life, so that you can live a mature Christian life that will not only please God, but be pleasing to you as well. I want to live that kind of life. How about you? So that's Romans chapter 12. That's always the one that always people took me to whenever I'd ask them, help me find the will of God. But let me offer you another passage that reveals so much about your daily life. After all, Paul is really talking about our daily life in that passage in Romans 12. So let me talk to you about our daily life for a moment and living the will of God. First Thessalonians chapter five, beginning at verse 16, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he gives a group of instructions at the end of his first letter uh, to the church there. And He's just rapid firing one thing after another. This is what he says. He says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. He says, this is God's will for you. If Paul says this is God's will, that makes me want to listen, right? What is it? What's God's will? I've been searching 4.45 billion answers are on the internet. What is God's will? God's will is that we always be joyful. Always be joyful. Is that possible? Well, notice he, what he doesn't say. He doesn't say always be happy. Right. Right. Huge difference. Thank you. Because happiness 
is tied to happenings. If good things are happening, I'm happy. If bad things are happening, I'm sad. Right? So how can I always be joyful? Because joy is not tied to anything that's going on in my life. Joy is tied to an abiding decision that I am committed to Jesus Christ and he to me. I have an abiding joy in my life because I know he is my source. He brings all good things into my life. And so guess what? I have joy. Paul, at the start of the book of, uh, of Ephesians, he said, or Philippians, he says, hey, the ministry of the, I'm in jail, I'm getting beat all the time, it's rough stuff, but because God's work is being done outside of the jail where I'm centered, because it's happening, guess what? I have joy. We can have joy because we know the work of God goes on, that we can see him doing his accomplished task in our lives, we can have joy. So he says, always be joyful. I can do that. Number two, he says, never stop praying. Is that possible? Notice he didn't say, always be in your posture of prayer. Because some of y'all, when you read that, always be praying, you're like, oh, Lord, you mean I got to be in the altar on my knees with my hands folded 24 hours a day? I got to go into my prayer closet and never come out. He's not saying walk across the platform 50 times. He's not saying go into the corner and stay there. He says, always be praying. And what he really is saying is that we can achieve an attitude of prayer to where we recognize that God is always with us and we can be connected to him at any moment. And he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so guess what? If I'm going through a tough day, I can talk to God right now. I don't have to wait till I get to church on Sunday. I can talk to him right now. I I can talk to him in this moment and I can talk to him in the next moment and I can talk to him in the next moment. Whatever life deals with me, it's not dealing with me by myself because I'm always with him. So I can always be praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Is that possible? Notice he didn't say be thankful for everything. That would be impossible. Notice he said be thankful in all circumstances. In the good ones? Yeah. In the bad ones? Yes. Because in the good ones I'm rejoicing. But in the bad ones I'm learning. So I can be thankful in every circumstance. I can always be joyful. Now, that doesn't mean you run around like a smiling idiot looking like you just, you know, fell off the turnip truck. That's not what it's talking about. But I can always be filled with joy. I can always be praying. I can always recognize that God is with me and I can talk to him in a moment. And I can always be thankful. Because if I will do those things, joyful, praying, thankful, then I'm going to fulfill the will of God in my life. thing I want you to really notice is in both cases where Paul says, hey, transform the way you think so that you can find the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And always be joyful. Pray without ceasing. Be thankful in everything. Notice that all of those things, neither of them deal with a place, a position, a destination, They all deal with an internal work of the spirit in my life. It's all in regards to my mind, how I think, how I live. It's all in regards to the walking day by day with Jesus Christ's life that we've been all called to. Which got me thinking about Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. 
Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. One other version says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Notice, even Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, doing the will of God for him was not about position. It wasn't about status. It was not about ascension to the throne. It was about giving up those things. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died on a, a criminal's death on a cross. Fulfilling the will of God for Jesus was that of a servant. And fulfilling the will of God for you and I is that we become like Jesus, who was a servant to all. He called each of us to be servants, not to be lords, not to be masters, but to be servants. That's his will for your life. It's not to think more highly of yourself than you should think, but to consider others and how you might fulfill the plan of God inside of each of the lifestyles that you live right now to be like Jesus, to serve others from the life that you live. So let's go back to the story of Joseph for a moment. I haven't forgotten about him. When we left him, he was in prison. He was put there by false accusations. He'd been given a dream by God. And I'm not sure that Joseph thought, uh, I'm not sure that he thought he was living up to, you know, the dream. I think he was really confused as to why his life was not matching the script that he had envisioned. After all, he was born to rule. It was written in the stars. But life had kind of tarnished his dream. In prison, though, he's finally remembered and he's taken in to see Pharaoh and he's given an opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And when he does, he's elevated to second in command in all of Egypt. And his main project is to oversee the food distribution, the resources of the nation of Egypt, because during a time of severe famine that was revealed in Pharaoh's dream, they were going to need to store up food because during the seven years of plenty, they stored it up, the excess so that during the seven years of famine that was to come, they would have plenty of, for not only themselves, but for others as well. Which is probably a good plan for all of us to live by, you know. When we got a lot, save it up so we can be a blessing during times when we don't have so much. But Genesis chapter 42, verse 5 and 6, I think this is really kind of cool because not only did people around the world need to come to Egypt to get food, the Bible says that Jacob's brothers did too. Verse 5 says, so Jacob's sons, I'm sorry, Joseph's brothers, Jacob's sons arrive in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was the governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. The dream's coming to pass. Joseph is seeing the very thing that he dreamed coming to pass, but I don't think it was how he envisioned it. The show was happening, but it wasn't quite according to Joseph's script. He knows them. They don't recognize him. Joseph puts his brothers through a little bit of drama. He accuses them of being spies. He puts them in jail for a few days. He sends the 10 brothers back and makes them bring their youngest brother back with them, which their dad wasn't happy about. Verse 26, when they returned this time, they brought Joseph gifts with them, and once again, they bowed low to the ground, and just like in the dream. And after a few more shenanigans, Joseph finally reveals himself to them, and he shows them his identity, and he weeps over them for a time at this reunion. Now, 
understand, 21 years have passed from age 17 when he saw the script to age 38 when the show is being revealed. And although the dream that he saw, the script of God's plan for him, it was the same, it wasn't the show that he expected. Because when Joseph saw his dream, he assumed that the script of his ascension over his brothers and his family would be one of ease. It would be shiny. It would be a quick journey. It would be received with excitement and wonderful glamour. They would just love to bow down to me because the stars say this is what's going to happen. God dictates this is going to happen. And so they're just going to be excited about it. At 17, his dream was about honoring him. He would be the greatest and they would bow down to his greatness. But at 38, when it comes to pass, although he now was the greatest, they were bowing to his greatness. But now instead of being their Lord and master, like the script was written because of the years and because of the struggle and the pain, the shine had been knocked off the dream. And now the script has been perfected. It's matured. And what he couldn't understand at 17, now he does understand at 38. When God's plan was truly revealed, yes, his brothers are kneeling before him, but his response isn't to be their Lord, but rather to be their servant. Genesis 45, 7, he looks at them as they're bowing before him and weeping over him, and he says, God had sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. He recognized that it was God's plan for him to do exactly what had to be done so that God could then elevate him to save the lives of others. His brothers go back. They get their dad. They bring the whole family to Egypt, and his father spends his final years with a restored family. Before his father Jacob dies, he blesses Joseph's sons. And still his brothers are nervous, right? They are still quite a bit nervous. They think that Joseph's going to get them. Now that Jacob's gone, Jacob's died, they're still seeing him as this 17-year-old boy who bragged about his position and his fancy coat. And they come to him after Jacob dies, and they try to convince him that Jacob said, hey, Dad said before he died that you have to be nice to us. Please, little brother Joseph. Notice Genesis 50, verse 18. Then his brothers came, and they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. Once again, the dream's coming to pass. But notice Joseph's response. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. He reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Genesis 50 is the fulfillment of the same dream that occurred in Genesis 37. It's just now in mature form because the players in the script had matured enough to be able to handle the dream. It's the same script, only now Joseph's perspective is in a position to where he can see it the way God intended it. Right now, some of us are struggling because What we thought was God's plan, what we thought was the dream that God had given us, it's not coming to pass the way we thought it would or in the timing that we had planned. You're going through some suffering and you're going through some struggles and it feels like the show is different than the script. And perhaps, is it possible that the God who operates outside of time 
the Jesus that we serve who understands the beginning from the end, the God who birthed the dream in you gave it to you in an immature form. Not because God's dream was immature, but because you weren't ready to understand its fulfillment yet. Is it possible that he realizes the future plans he has for you cannot be completed, cannot be perfected, Maybe you're just not ready for them in your present state as you are right now. So he allows you to go through a tough season, a polishing season, a few dress rehearsals so that far off down the line when you have matured, the script will come to pass and you will be ready to accomplish it. Paul says in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the story right now, but on what is unseen, the fulfillment of the script, since what we see is temporary. This is just for a moment, folks. This is just for a little while. But what is coming, what is unseen is eternal. In other words, what we're going through right now, the dress rehearsal, the tech week on the stage, this working out of all the rough edges, the maturing of our faith, it's working to perfect God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for us. And the script will come to pass. Just may look a little different than the way you imagined it, but it will come to pass because it's not a place you arrive at. It's not a position that you hold. It's not a ministry that you achieve. It's not a status or a job or an accolade, but rather a destination of the heart, a maturing of our faith, a perfecting of our inner man, our spirit being, our mind, so that it can become like Christ. So that we can truly fulfill the will of God in our lives, that being a complete transformation of our mind, being totally submitted to him. If our musicians would come and our praise team, one more time, from the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As they come, if you'd all stand with me all over the, this house today. Perhaps today you think that your story is complete. That God started off a story in your life and you just messed up one too many times and it's never going to come to pass. Perhaps you think, you know what? I had a dream and I thought it was from God, but it's just not looking the way I thought it would. And so I'm not even going to try anymore. Perhaps you think I've messed up one too many times and I've blown it and I'm disqualified from the dream God had for me. And if God did have a plan, he must have gone off script way too many times because it's never going to come to pass. Perhaps that's you today. I've been there. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to, in my mind, have it all played out, the script that I believed God was writing for my life, and I know what it's like to see the script 
ripped apart with a whole lot of red ink and torn all to pieces and it not turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I also know what it's like for God to take the broken pieces of my script and begin to perfect them and mold them and shape them into the dream that he really did have for me after all. And maybe, maybe today it's true. Maybe you feel like you have blown it one too many times. And maybe you have blown it a lot. Maybe you've lived in a manner that was different than what God had desired for you. But I have a question for you today. Are you still here? Are you still breathing? Are you still alive? We sang a song earlier today. They're going to sing it again here in a moment. The bridge for the song says, if you're not dead, God's not done. Greater things are still to come. Some of us have disqualified ourselves from the plan of God. Some of us have just taken God's hand off of our lives and just be like, ah, forget it. I just can't do it. But today I want you to understand it's not about a thing you're going to arrive at. It's not about a destination that you got to achieve. It's about walking every day, striving to be like Jesus and finding ways to allow his life to be your life and to allow his direction to be your direction. Two people can't walk in opposite directions. And so when God calls us, his calling is that we would walk with him in the same direction, going the same way. And you know the beautiful thing about that, Brother Carl? is if I'm walking with Jesus and I fall, guess who's there to pick me up? Jesus. I don't have to struggle to get up on my own because the Jesus who said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me because my burden is easy and my burden is light, he's the one helping to lift me up and carry me when I do fall. You can go on and do your script on your own if you want to. But Jesus called me to go on a journey with him. So I'm going to walk with him. And guarantee it, I'm going to stumble. Guarantee it, there'll be a hole in the road and I will fall in it. Guarantee you, there will be rocks in my path and I will stub my toe and fall flat on my face. But if I'm falling forward, I'm falling farther ahead than I was yesterday. And Jesus is there to lift me up. And if you're not dead, he ain't done. So don't give up on the dream. Don't give up on the script that's been written. Don't give up on it yet because God could just be perfecting it, molding it, shaping it, maturing you to where you're ready to receive exactly what God's plan is for the future of your life. He's still working. If you have breath in your body, you have hope. You have opportunity. His will is being perfected in you each and every day. With every turn of the road, with every circumstance that seems contrary, with every failure, with every misstep, with every slip and fall, he's working on you. And as long as you're endeavoring to keep living, to keep moving, to keep going forward, the story isn't over, the show isn't complete. It may look different than the script you received, but it's not done. My wife and I, there are a few shows that we like to watch together, and every time we get to the end of a season, she's like, that can't be it! You know, because they leave you like with the cliffhanger and because they want you to come back and watch later. It's like, that, that can't be it. Whoa, that can't be it. Some of us are like that with God. We're like, man, is this it? And God's like, oh no. Season two is coming, baby. 
It's not over. Because we serve a God who, they killed him on the cross and it wasn't over. Right? With God, it's never over. As long as I still got breath in my body and are willing to submit to him, it's not over till he says it's over. And he hadn't said it's over yet because we're still here. We're still breathing. And so I want to submit myself to him today, don't you? So as they begin to sing, this altar is going to open and we're going to allow you to come. Come and surrender yourself to Jesus today and allow God to begin to reshape some of those dreams and visions in your mind and allow God to work on your script a little bit and put you into a place to receive all that God has for you. Oh, if I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done.
yet. Pastor mentions it occasionally. We used to sing this song when I was a, a little kid about he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun, the earth, the Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. I'm glad he doesn't give up on me. Aren't you? I'm glad he doesn't quit. I'm glad he doesn't just look at me and be like, mm, nope, you've done it. You messed up too many times. I'm done with you. I'm so glad he doesn't look at us that way, but rather looks at us with love and compassion and recognizes that, hey, with a little more chipping away on that old statue there, I can turn this into a masterpiece. I'm thankful for that today. Well, you know me, I like to close out things with a little bit of a, a, a declaration. And so I'm going to have you just repeat after me. Everybody, close your eyes. You can do whatever you want with your hands. But we're going to, I just want you to declare a few things with me today. Will you do it? Father, I thank you. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this moment. Because today, I realize that it ain't over. That there's more ahead than what lies behind. I'm not finished. Because you're not finished. You have things that I have to do. And today I'm going on a journey with you. My walk with you becomes my priority. As we journey together, I know I'm going to fall. But I'm so thankful that you're there to pick me up. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid. I'm not a disappointment. I am living for you, and my life will matter because you matter, and you're important to me, and I know I'm important to you. God, I thank you for your love today, and I honor you with my life. Let me live submitted to you and reveal your plans in me, and I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Let's thank God all over this house. Father, we thank you. We bless you and we honor you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.